T.G. Journey here, welcoming you to Shortgrass Country News, where the past never ends. Today's story is being brought to you by the Wild Irish Rose Supper Club, out there on the Lakeview Road. Rose says bring your wife, bring your sweetheart, bring whichever one of them you want for a romantic supper. The Saturday night special is prime rib with all the trimmings. After supper, slide on out there on that dance floor and do a little belt buckle polishing to the tunes of Voice of the Prairie. You and yours won't regret it. The horse says it's time for today's story that I've named Electric Fence Building 101. In southwest Oklahoma, hard red winter wheat is usually sowed somewhere between early September and the end of November, hopefully. If there's rain in September or October, most farmers go ahead and plant their wheat. If there's no rain, a decision has to be made as whether to dust it in or wait for moisture before sowing. If the farmer is blessed with an early planting, there's hope that the weather is mild enough to give that wheat some growth before Thanksgiving. Good growth means that the wheat can be grazed by the cattle, which in turn saves on the hand feeding required to keep the cattle in good flesh through the winter. Hand feeding, the feeding of hay and protein cubes, which many refer to as cake, requires time and money. That's something the farmers old had precious little of. Now, most farmers don't maintain a permanent barbed wire fence around their farmland, so if he's blessed with winter pasture, a fence is required to keep the cattle inside the wheat field. Back then, most farmers were living hand to mouth, so such a fence just wasn't in the budget. A temporary electric fence was generally used for winter grazing. An electric fence is usually composed of one or two 14-gauge smooth wires with a little 3-8-inch diameter steel post placed about every 30 feet. That's about 10 steps for an average man. The wire is connected to the post by means of an insulator. That's something that won't carry electricity. Back then, most insulators were made of porcelain. No matter what the size of the field, it usually proved to be a big job. Now, Daddy pretty much used the same wire year after year. That meant it had a lot of splices with the tails of the wire splices sticking up some. That meant you never wanted to put your hand around that wire to control it when it was being unrolled or rolled up. If you did... You might end up with a torn up hand, or worse, you might lose the whole dang arm. Daddy always rolled the wire up on a tire rim that fit his old pickup. That way he could throw his handyman jack under the pickup to get the wheel off the ground, then replace the tire with the empty rim. Next he'd tie the wire to that rim, dropped the pickup in Grandma and let it roll the wire up for him. To unroll the wire, old Otto Heinrich, the local blacksmith, 
made a hub that fit down in the stake pocket at the back of the pickup bed to hold the rim. Daddy'd drive real slow around the field with me riding on the tailgate, holding a piece of pipe or a ranch down on the wire, acting like a brake, so the wire wouldn't be able to freewheel and get all tangled up. Murphy's Law always seemed to show up, though, cause sometimes those splice tails would get all tangled while the wire was unrolling, and we'd end up with a broken wire, or worse, a tangled-up rat's nest of wire that had no rhyme or reason to it. The posts were easy enough to drive in the ground, but getting them back out at the end of the season usually proved challenging. We'd clamp a set of vice grips to the post and twist it around a little bit this way and then that, then pull up on her. There was usually a whole lot of grunting going on. One might actually begin to believe those posts had set down roots. Once the fence was up, an energizer, better known as a fence charger, was connected to the fence to electrify it. One lead from the charger would be attached to the fence, and the other was attached to a ground rod, which was driven in the ground three feet or more, if possible. When the cattle touched the fence, they'd get a jolt, hopefully. The strength of that jolt was determined by how well the cattle were grounded. The more moisture there was in the soil, the greater the jolt. The first time that I helped Daddy put up an electric fence, I was probably in the fourth or fifth grade. I was a little fella, probably not weighing more than a sack of feed. By that time, the pale green 52 Ford pickup had replaced the old Merc as the work truck. We'd take the wire and post out of storage in the barn and throw them in the back of the pickup, along with a ground rod, fence charger, and battery. Then it was off to the wheat field. An electric fence needs good, solid corner posts in order to hold the fence tight. So we'd set those corner posts first and tie insulators to them with baling wire at about 32 inches off the ground. For a grown man, that's about crotch height, which can prove a little disconcerting if one needs to cross from one side to the other of an electrified fence. I've seen more than one big old burly man take a hit and just squall like a baby. Once the wire was unrolled, connected to the post at both ends, and shook out to try and get it as straight as possible, it was time to place the electric fence posts. Daddy gave me the job of distribution of those posts. He didn't believe that I'd be any good at driving the post in the ground with a hammer and attaching the wire to the insulators. Well, he'd load 10 or 15 of those little round posts across my arms and tell me to step it off. He wanted a post about every 30 feet. As I said earlier, that's about 10 steps for the average man. It was more like 20 for me. There I'd be with an armload of posts, leaning back, trying to keep them in place while walking through difficult terrain, wobbling all the way, trying to count my steps. Somehow or another, I was supposed to drop a post off my armload and step on to the next one. I'd lean forward to the point my armload of posts would almost overtake me, and I'd get nothing. Not one post to just gracefully roll off. 
So I'd try to dump one off the side by leaning over slightly. Usually I'd end up dumping about half the posts. Before it was over, I'd end up dumping them all. I'd leave one laying and pick the rest up. That always turned into a circus clown juggling act of sorts. This act would be repeated time and time again until there were few enough posts that I could actually control them. Daddy'd be yelling down the line to me that I was going too far or I wasn't going far enough. I don't think I ever hit that Goldilocks moment of just right. Once the fence was completed, it was time to attach the charger to the fence and to the battery and test it. Daddy used an old battery that no longer had enough strength to start a vehicle, but it still held good enough strength to power a fence charger. There was one particular year when we had moisture. Daddy was excited that he'd have a good ground for the charger and the cattle would get a good jolt. As I said, when it's dry, the cattle don't get a good ground, so the fence doesn't bother them much. And if there's not good grazing, their eyes began to wander to the other side of the fence. As we all know, it's always greener on the other side. Before long, they're on the neighbor's or they're out in the bar ditch. After Daddy hooked everything up, he flipped the charger on, then reached out and grabbed the wire to see if it was hot. That's how he tested an electric fence. After grabbing it, he says, Damn it, no juice. Wouldn't you just know it? Then he reached out and grabbed me by the hand. The jolt darn near knocked me to the ground. I even wet my pants a little. Shoot, I thought I'd lost fingers and toes. I guess I had a good ground. He just busted out laughing. I sure wasn't amused. I learned my lesson that day. I never, never got close to him again when we were working around electricity. An electric shock just didn't seem to bother Daddy much. We'd be hanging around the champion station and someone had come in complaining that their old six-banger was missing. Daddy'd say, let me take a look under that hood for you. Maybe we can get her straightened out. He'd reach down and grab a spark plug and kind of pull back in a hurry like he had gotten shocked. And then he'd go to the next plug and he'd do the same thing. He'd get to that third one and grab it and just hang on. Then he'd say, well, here's your problem. The number three plug is fouling. The old boy would be standing there shaking his head and thinking, and Daddy would reach out and grab hold of him. The old boy would take the full charge of a hot spark plug and go to dancing like he had ants in his pants. Daddy always seemed to get a kick out of that. Well, it looks like our time is up for this week, so until next week, happy trails.